This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott. And I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have the publisher of Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines, Chris Denham. Chris, how you doing? Good, Jay. Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you know, uh, you and I have been friends for Oh, probably 15, maybe going on 20 years, and uh, it's going to be great to have you on the podcast today. Um, Chris, for those of, of of the listeners out there that maybe don't know you, give me a little bit of a bio or background on kind of how you got your start in hunting and then how that uh, led through your different, uh, you know, things that you were doing with your occupation and then where, where it led you to where you're at now. Oh, Okay. Yeah, it's it's actually kind of a long story. Um, really, I, I grew up in Douglas, Arizona, and I was just one of those kids, like a lot of them, I'm sure just about everybody listening to this, is that you just love to hunt. Even before, it was like the first thoughts you can remember having, you wanted to go hunting, even though I didn't come from a, uh, a traditional hunting family at all. In fact, to this day, I'm really, besides you know my son, I'm the only one that still actually hunts in my family. But... Uh, Growing up in Douglas uh, was, you know, was just a great experience, you know, right down on the Mexican border. Then I went to work for, I met Cody Glenn when I was in seventh grade, working in the cafeteria. And his family, uh, they're lion guides. They do hound hunts, uh, dry ground lion hunts, uh, coos deer hunts, and mule deer hunts. And Cody and I just became friends. I got to hanging out with him when we were in junior high, and then I started hunting with him when I was in, in high school, uh, all the way up till you know, it's all the way into college. And then after college, I, uh, my wife and I had to move to Tucson and I went to work, uh, just looking for a job. I went to work at a store called Jensen's custom ammo in Tucson, which was at the time was, was like the Mecca of, of hunting in, in Southern Arizona. It was the absolute, the coolest hunting store around. And, uh, everybody loved to, to go to Jensen's and I, you know, I was thrilled to death to get a job there for $6 an hour with a college degree. And, uh, Worked at Jensen's for uh, in the retail store, then moved into management and worked in their wholesale division. Got to meet uh, a lot of the sales reps in the industry. Uh, when it was time to to move back up to Phoenix, I just put the word out to all the reps I was working with. I was looking for a job, and George Cornell was one of my reps. Said, "Hey, I'm looking for somebody." So I went to work for George GT Cornell and Associates, and with some of our product lines were like Beretta and Swarovski. Uh, so I really got kind of into the hunting business with, you know, through that, especially with Swarovski. And at the time, Swarovski was, when I did seminars, I had to start by teaching everybody how to pronounce the, the name Swarovski. Then uh, then I, when I left the rep industry, I started guiding, guided for about five years. Um, and then, then when the outdoorsmen, we decided to make a catalog to, kind of demonstrate the new uh, uh, products from outdoorsmen, the new tripod and so on. And we decided to put some articles in there. And, and from that, Western Hunter was born. Uh, at the time, we called it Western Optics Hunter. Uh, so Western Hunter Magazine was born from that. And then uh, Mike Duplan and I had been talking for years about uh, Elk Hunter Magazine, starting Elk Hunter Magazine. 
And about that time, Ryan Hatfield came on board and we started Elk Hunter. And then not long after that, Nate Simmons came on board and we started Western Hunter TV. So it's kind of a, kind of a long story, but, uh, but just a lot of things happened there. Yeah, absolutely. And the success of uh, not only the magazines, but the TV show uh, has been, uh, you know, a huge success. Uh, tell me how rewarding it is to have uh, some of those businesses that you're involved in be successful. It's, it is absolutely a blast. I mean, it, I, it, it's a lot of work, um, and, and I know people appreciate it, but it's, it's a ton of work. But I, and I don't think I fully appreciate the, the impact and what we're doing until we go to some of the consumer shows. And we're actually talking to, you know, to readers, talking to viewers, and, and how much they just love you know, what we're doing. Uh, especially on the TV show, it's, it's the, the, the word that we hear, I mean, a hundred times a day is real, you know, that we just, we keep it real. And to be honest, when we started the TV show, it really, I really wasn't that excited about it. I mean, like most people listening, there wasn't anything on outdoor TV that, that you were really got excited about watching. And I just didn't, I didn't envision being able to do it different than Nate, uh, kind of pitched the idea of what he was thinking. I was like, okay, that's, I mean, that's Now he's got my attention. And we put the pilot, <clears throat> excuse me, put the pilot together. And then I realized just how much talent Nate has and what it, you know, truly an artist he is as well as, you know, as well as in my opinion, one of the best bow hunters alive. And, uh, and that's what I, I love hearing from people that they just, they appreciate what we're doing. Uh, one of the compliments I love the most is, Wives, women love to watch our show as well, and I think because we show the emotion of hunting. But what I've heard, I heard about five or six times this year, and I realized I, I said this is the be- best compliment we get. Is wives come up and say, "Now I get why my husband loves to do what he does." You know, by watching our show, they're 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 able to see us without necessarily, you know, going out there with their husband and you know having to endure all of the the stuff we endure when we're out hunting. They could sit there on the, on, you know, the comfort of their living room and get that experience and really understand and appreciate what their spouse is, is why his, their spouse loves what he loves. Yeah, for sure. I mean, from the beginning, did you guys set out to, to make it real or did it just come out where, you know, just your style or was there an emphasis placed on trying to capture all of the emotion and, uh, of the hunt? You know, it's. I think it really. It, it wasn't necessarily a, a goal, um, but our our goal was to just film what we do. You know, and, and to to kind of stick to what we do well. You know, which is and what we like to do, which is hunt public land in the West. Um, and by doing that, you know, it, it just comes through. And then the other thing that that we love to do is, it, especially Nate and I, we love to go hunt new places. You know, with the, the challenge of just showing up somewhere with, you know, some maps on your phone, maybe, you know, a map on your, on the hood of the truck and just get there and just figure it out in the challenge of, of figuring out new country and new units um, is just what we love to do. And, it, and that comes through on the show because that's what, you know, so many guys are, are, are doing, especially if you go out of state, a lot of times you're, you know, the first time you step into the unit is opening day and you just got to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and I, and we just like love that challenge. And, and so I think it, the, the real part of our show is just a kind of a function of, you know, of who we are and, and the style of hunting that we like to do. 
Do you at times uh, go on these hunts where you could probably do a, a whole lot more, uh, you know, research and, you know, figure it out a whole lot more, but you kind of just go into it wanting to kind of have that, you know, I'm new in the unit, I have no idea where to go, and that figure it out mentality. I mean, do you purposely, do you purposely maybe not prepare uh, as much as you normally would if you were, you know, going hunting or, or, or not? You know, I, I do. Um, I, I say that for myself especially, and I, I know Nate does too. Nate will do a ton of work on Google Earth and, and, and you know, pouring over maps, and Ryan will make a lot of phone calls. I tend to, I, I do kind of just like to just show up because for two reasons. I mean, if I talk to a lot of friends or, you know, people that might know a, a unit, then it then it's kind of their area. You know, it's not mine. <laughs> and it, that can be that can be really hard, especially when you're filming, because one of the things we do when we film is we kind of screw up our own areas. Is we're, we're giving, you know, we're showing them, you know, the big scenes. We're showing the mountain ridges. And eventually, figure people will figure out where we're hunting. And if I if I go to friends or you know ask for help, I'm I'm kind of by default you know messing up that guy's area, kind of giving you know giving his secrets away. So you know I do I personally I try to to just go there and figure it out. Plus, there's a certain amount of prejudice that you develop when you get advice from other people uh, about what areas you should be hunting and what areas you shouldn't be hunting. And sometimes you just have to get there and let your gut instincts as a hunter take over and and just check out things. And, and I think by doing that, I find myself probably hunting areas that other people aren't hunting uh, and, uh, you know, and probably finding animals that other people aren't finding. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Chris, we live in uh, Arizona, you and I both, and, um, y you know, Arizona has been accused and, and, and maybe rightfully so at some points. Uh, because our tags are so hard to get in a, in a lot of different units, you know, it's kind of known as a quote unquote trophy hunting state and it's known as, you know, uh, you know, guys are just after the big antlers because we do have big animals here that, you know, get to grow up. Um, how has your hunting or if, you know, has it or has it not changed, uh, from, that mentality of going out to try and harvest the best buck or the best bull or ram or whatever and really nitpicking every part of, uh, you know, the, the deer or the bull's, uh, you know, characteristics as opposed to just getting a tag in a western state and just going to try and enjoy the hunt for what it is. I mean, what, what kind of um, state are you in with your own type of hunting? That's a, it's a great question, and it's something I, I, I think about all the time when I'm going. Because one of the things about going out of state to new places is it's not that my standards are down. It's just that I know I'm going to get to go each year. You know, if I, if I you know, doing over-the-counter hunts in some states, you know, you know how it is. I mean, hopefully this week my credit card get, gets hit from Arizona for an elk tag. Um, Actually, if it doesn't rain pretty soon, I may hope I don't get hit. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, if, and, and if I do get a tag, this will be the first tag in eight years for me. And my odds of getting that tag still, I'm probably in only in the 10%, you know, range. I'll probably still be two years. So by the time I actually draw a tag, it'll have been 10 years since I hunted elk in Arizona. When you only have a tag every 10 years, you do tend to be, you know, you want to be picky. You want to have that maximum experience and, you know, you, you want to 
you know, you want to put that big trophy on the wall, which is, which is a little frustrating uh, because that's, you know, in, in my opinion, that just should not be in the top five, even in the top five reasons why we hunt. But really to answer your question, uh, nowadays, like when it comes to elk, um, you know, in Arizona, I'd be a little pickier, but I mean, if it's a screaming bull and he's 320, 330 inches, he might be in trouble. Maybe not on opening day, but only not for that reason, only because it, it's tough to make a TV show when you shoot something on the first morning. It's, you know, it can be a little, it can be a pretty short episode and, uh, you know, not, not much, uh, not much drama, not much action. But when I go to yeah. Wyoming or, you know, if I go to Wyoming or Colorado, um, if he's bugling, he's in trouble. <laughs> if he's big enough <laughs> old enough to bugle, um, he is a target. And, uh, and one thing I found, you know, hunting in other states compared to, to say, Arizona for elk, just to be uh, specific about elk, is it's really hard. I mean, hunting elk in a general unit in Wyoming is really hard. Um, even in some of the, the limited entry areas that I've hunted, I mean, I last year we, in season three here, we had an episode where I hunted in Wyoming, and I archery hunted there for seven, eight, nine days, something like that. And when I saw a, a decent five point was the best bull I saw. I mean, it was just hard. And of course I went back in the rifle season and shot a, a bull. Of the, there was elk all over the place then and it, it all worked out. But, uh, so I guess to answer your question, I'm really, I'm less picky. I'm less pickier than ever. In fact, I don't even really even think about score anymore. I just look at that. I just look at it and say, man, that's a nice looking buck. <laughs> and if, if I say that to myself, boom, I'm off and off and running and, and trying to and trying to kill that buck. That's great stuff. Let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Tired of relying on out of date numbers, spending too much on hunting consultants and seeing too little results? With Go Hunt Insider, the old way of doing things is over. With the introduction of draw odds and filtering 2.0, you'll have access to the most accurate, up-to-date information in the industry. You can filter by state, species, trophy potential, weapon, specific days or months of the year, harvest success rate, male-to-female ratios, and much more. All of this leads to easily finding the best hunt for you. So what are you waiting for? Visit GoHunt.com Insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. So Chris, back to my last question. Um, you answered it um, great, and I, and I got your answer. But there's still guys out there that are very, very you know, trophy-oriented. In your mind, do you think that's, you know, because I, I find myself being very trophy oriented. Do you think that's somewhat short sighted, or do you think if you weren't filming a TV show that you you might be a little more picky, or is it just the older you've gotten, you've just changed in 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 how you want to, you know, do your hunts? Um, actually, probably a combination of both. I mean, certainly uh, with the with the TV show, 
um, you know, our kind of a Nate and I talk about all the time. Our kind of our, our policy is when it comes to the size of the animal, it's like if you're going to have a big smile on your face when you walk up to that animal, that's that's you know that's for me. Uh, but but nothing against uh, folks that that you know are looking for the biggest the biggest thing out there because you know I I I do get to hunt a lot. I'm, I'm hunting 60, 70 days a year. If you've only got two hunts you know, two hunts a year and you've got two weeks to do it. And you, at, at the end of those two weeks, if you don't kill something in, you know, you passed up a bunch of good bucks and you can walk away and say, I had a great hunt, then man, all the more power to you. In fact, I was just reading an article this morning on, on gohunt.com about hunter satisfaction uh, from hunts that have that, you know, there's not a harvest involved. And, it was pretty. It was a, it was an enlightening article. It was a survey, and you know a lot of people. It, basically, all the respondents said, as long as they had, you know, a great hunt, got to see animals in the wild, got to spend time with family, they consider the hunt a success. And you know, so in that case, you know, all the more power to the guy that can that says, I hey, I didn't, I passed up a bunch of good bucks, didn't shoot, a, you know, didn't shoot a trophy, but man, I had a great hunt. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, I can see definitely both sides of the spectrum. And I think as you mature as a hunter, um, it seems like the older I get, the more that, yeah, I'm still trying to um, push myself to, you know, you know, somewhat discriminate and, and shoot the best trophy I can get. But I also, uh, the older I get, I learn to look around and smell the roses a little bit and, and just enjoy every sunset and every sunrise. And um, cause you know, uh, life is short and you know, there's times when, you know, it may be your last hunt. We never know when we come out of the field, if that was our last hunt. And I think a lot of times when you're just, uh, you know, you're young and, uh, you know, you're, you're out there just, you know, trying to bang away that, you know, you lose sight of, of, uh, smelling the roses as you go, so to speak. Yeah, I agree, and, and you know, it's something you and I have talked about, and you've talked about in other podcasts. Uh, some of the things that uh, are affecting hunters, you know, and in 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 the perception of hunters out there, and and one of the things that I think is really frustrating is is basically Facebook and Instagram. You know, when it comes to hunting, we don't post a lot of pictures of the flowers, you know, of the squirrels, of the birds of the sunrise and the sunsets. Everybody wants to, you know, post the big grip and grin, you know, of the animal. And to some degree, I think it, uh, it, it you know, it almost diminishes the, the, the hunt that it all gets the, the, the hunt, the, the summation of the hunt is the, the grip and grin shot. And, uh, and because we can't, you just can't tell the whole story in you know, one Facebook post, you know, so we, we tend to minimize the, the entire experience down to one photo. Yeah, uh, I think you're, I think you make a good point there. What, what do you think as far as, uh, social media and, you know, how in your mind has social media kind of changed, uh, hunting for, you know, the better or for the worse? Um, you know, what are your thoughts about social media impacts on, on hunting? You know, honestly, I, I, it's something I, I've looked at and thought a lot about, and I actually I plan on writing an article about it because I can't come up with a positive necessarily uh, when it comes to 
you know, the hunting experience and what social media has done to it outside of, of, you know, of issues like being able to bring issues to the forefront, um, you know, whether it's uh, conservation issues or, or predator issues or, say, you know, wounded warriors trying to, you know, to, you know, raise money or raise awareness. So, you know, those are all great. But in general, social media, it's almost like an addiction for even to, even on a small level, it's almost like an addiction. I mean, everybody, if anybody is really truthful about it, when they post something on Instagram or Facebook, within two hours, they want to look and see how many people liked it. You know, because the more people that liked it must mean that you're, you know, your 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 status is, is improved and increased. You're moving up in the world. <laughs> yeah, you're moving up in the world. You get 50 Instagram likes in 15 minutes. You know, and and uh, it, it it just drives people to, you know, to do things that they just normally wouldn't do. And you know, there's cases of that, you know, all over all over uh, social media of guys, you know, trying to basically posers. You know, if you use the old skateboarding uh, skateboarding term that. They, they yeah. want to appear quote, quote, bigger than they are because they're jealous of the other, all the photographs that they're seeing now, because nobody really, even when it comes to like family photos, nobody posts the, the picture of the dirty diaper. They always post the picture of the smiling, happy kid, you know? Yeah. And people start to think that everybody else's life must be great. And everybody else is killing these big deer. And meanwhile, you know, the kids are crying and the, you know, the, the dog's sick and the bills are piling up and, they shot a two point, you know, and they just, they don't feel good about themselves. So. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's kind of a double edged sword. I, I feel like on one hand, like, um, you know, with the, you know, the millennials and, and, you know, the younger generation, they're all on social media. Right. So from, from one perspective, you know, from trying to, you know, retain hunters, trying to get, you know, more people involved, keep the young guys, young gals in it. I think, there has to be a presence uh, of hunting and the outdoors and fishing on social media. Uh, but on the other hand, I do see exactly what you're saying. Whereas, um, you know, most Instagram accounts and Facebook accounts just show the grip and grin or the final, you know, here's how my hunt went when, you know, so I think some of the better Facebook and Instagram accounts out there, you know, kind of show the progression of the hunt, show the good and the bad, you know, show the misses, show the, you know, show some of the heartache that goes along with it. And I, you know, I would like to encourage people out there because, um, you know, whether we like it or not, social media is not going away. If anything, it's only going to get stronger and uh, more prevalent in our society. But I would like to say, you know, encourage people to try and you know, spend a little time, you know, and capture the whole experience. And um, if you want to post, post away, but, um, you know, maybe post more content, more about the experience than just, you know, I went fishing, I fished for three days, here's the biggest fish, and they just show one big fish. And it's like, well, is that it? I mean, that's your whole trip is, you know, summed up in one photo, you know? Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, uh, Social media is absolutely here to stay, and there's a, you know, like I said, the millennials all the way up to, you know, 70-year-olds nowadays. I mean, my wife and I were at a uh, at a, a Broadway musical over at Gamage Auditorium the other night, and we were at the second, we were sitting at the front row of the second level, and during the intermission, I looked down, and the average age in the room had to be 65 years old. It was a very old, much older crowd, and 
I looked down off of the balcony during the intermission, and I bet you 70% of those people, you, all you could see was their phones lit up. They were all looking at their phones, you know, and, and yeah. uh, so it's it's across all, all age demographics, but especially in the, you know, the millennials. The, you know, the problem I, I see with, with most, with the internet in general, is just that it's kind of, there's kind of a lack of a filter. Um, so there's stuff that's getting out, that's getting posting, sending out there that, man, we'd just like to see it done a little bit different, just like you're saying. Yeah. One of the reasons I on our TV show that we've had a we had a lot of industry people tell us the first year is you, know, you don't show misses. You know, you, you never missed. You're supposed to be a professional. And we're like, no, it's just not real. You know, I mean, that's what happens. But, uh, you know, we try to show the entire process. And uh, and I'm hoping, and, and that's why I think we, we do have a lot of, you know, 20-year-old, 18-year-old kids, 20-year-old kids, families, you know, watching the show. So we do try to show the entire give you the entire experience as much as you can in 21 minutes. Chris, last year, looking back on your hunts that you were involved with on the Western Hunter TV show, if you had to pick one, is there one that just stands out as, as your favorite hunt of the year? And if so, why? Yeah, that's, that is a tough question because I had four, four hunts, I think, that will be on, on air this year. And actually, every one of my uh, – you know, I, when it was done, I was like, dang, that was a good hunt, and it's going to make a good show. But uh, one I'm actually probably the most excited to actually see on, on, uh, on, the, big, on the big screen, on my TV screen anyways, is a uh, desert hunt, desert mule deer hunt that uh, I did with my son, uh, with Mark. And, and it's out in, the, in the, the west desert, west of Phoenix, you know, and, and just classic bighorn sheep country. It, we were, you know, we backpacked in, slept in sand washes, saw very few deer. So actually, we saw more desert bighorn sheep than we did deer. Uh, but it's just a place. I mean, you've been out there in that desert. You're you're spending a lot of time out there now. You, you, I mean, the sunrises and the sunsets and the desert, and the life that's in that desert that looks that can appear so lifeless at, at a distance. It's just an amazing place and. I'm just super stoked to see that, see how that comes out when it, on the on the screen. Are there times when you go on hunts like that, and and then you know once you see it edited, you see it uh, up on the screen, you're just like shake your head because you're like, man, I really didn't notice this or that um, at the time, and then all of a sudden Nate pulls it out and you know puts this masterpiece together, and and it just uh, really comes to full circle for you. Oh, absolutely. Because the, the the one thing when when we're hunting, there's just two of us most of the time, you know, unless there's, you know, like my son might be with me. Sometimes we have two two videographers, but most of the time it's one hunter and one videographer. And the hunter's job is to hunt and the videographer's job is to film. And so a lot of times I'm just totally focused on what I'm doing. I'm glassing and it can go, I, I can go an hour and not even know what's going on around me, you know, except what I see through my binoculars. And so I don't even see what they're filming and what angles they're getting and what, you know, sunset shots or sunrises they're getting. And then, then all of a sudden I see it and I'm like, dang, I didn't even, I didn't even see that. I missed that, you know, cause I was so focused on my, you know, looking through my binoculars. So yeah, it's uh, I, I, I get as excited when Nate sends me the first link of a show. I'm just as excited as I can be to, to crank that. I mean, I drop everything I'm doing. I mean, I've, I've seen links come up when I'm in the middle of a phone call and I'll be like, Hey, can I call you back in about a half an hour? <laughs> I'm going to watch it right now. You know, I, I just, uh, I get, I get a total thrill out of watching, 
you know, being able to watch and see the work that uh, that Nate and Randy and, and Kyle are doing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, Chris, um, I credit you uh, for kind of you and a few guys uh, kind of pioneering, if, if, if that's a, I don't know if that's the right word, but putting uh, binoculars on a tripod and it's kind of, you know, been a phenomenon now where it's really taken hold. And um, I can remember when you were a rep with Swarovski and uh, Dar and I got our first pair of 10 by 42 binoculars and, um, you know, we put our binoculars on a tripod and it basically, in in my mind, totally changed my style of hunting and my success went through the roof as far as compared to what I was seeing before. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the progression of back in the back in the old days, uh, so to speak, um, and kind of how it's progressed to where we're at now and maybe talk a little bit about that style of hunting because I know using my eyes and, and great optics on a tripod is, is if, if you can master that, you can hunt anywhere in the world. And that, that's a, a truly accurate statement. I think being able to glass off a tripod um, and, and be patient and figure out, looking on, uh, on a map and looking at terrain and figuring out where a good glassing point is, it, it, I, I literally think it would triple um, triple a guy's success. If he already had good hunting skills and wasn't using a tripod and he went to a tripod, he'd probably, I, I guess, literally triple his odds of success, mostly because I, I can still vividly remember the first day I put a pair of binoculars on a tripod. And I was, I guess, working in Jensen's down in Tucson, and that's really, I think that was where tripod glassing was born. I mean, there was some gunsmiths down there that would, started machining tripod adapters for binoculars. Uh, you know, this is going back shooting, uh, you know, 30 years now. And that first day, you know, I went from seeing 20, 25 deer a day to seeing 60, 70 deer a day. I mean, I was literally tripling the number of deer. So, you know, therefore I figure my odds are probably tripled. Uh, but the, the key really in what people, the people think it's just, uh, you know, it's maybe, you, you know, you, it's because you can glass longer. That's true. Maybe you can, you're more comfortable while you're glassing. Yeah, that really helps. But the, the, the secret is, is being able to have everything stable, uh, except what's in front of you in, because your eyes, 99% of the, of your eye is there to detect motion. Only 1% of your vision, the very, very middle, what they call the foveal vision is actually in pure focus and in good color. I mean, 99% of your vision is blurred and in black and white. And so being able to have everything completely still, your eyes are, the other 99% of your eyes are actually able to do what they're designed to do, which is to pick up motion. And, and especially in low light. Chris, let's take a quick break here to hear from our sponsors again, but I've got a few questions to ask you about that. Sure. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. 
Check them out at Phonescope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at Phonescope. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order. So Chris, that's some great stuff that you're talking about, about your eye picking up the movement. So if, if you're not on a tripod and you're hand-holding, uh, walk me through this thought process. You're hand-holding, so you're getting a little bit, a bit of vibration. You're getting a little bit of shake. And so your eye is trained to pick up movement, but if you're, you, you have a little bit of handshake you know, or what have you, your eye is not going to pick up that movement near as good as it will if, if you're stationary on a tripod. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. If again, you can, you know, that one percent, you know, is scanning and looking, and you will still be able to pick up animals because your brain, you know, you've trained your brain to see those animals. But when when everything about your optics and your eyes is totally steady, and then you're allow you're you're basically allowing your eye to pick up that motion, and it's one of the reasons I even when I'm even on a tripod, I try to force myself to look at at, at an object whether I think it's a deer or, or Halloween or whatever, even if I not, don't even think it is, just stare at that for a few seconds and see if, and see if you pick up motion, you know, in the, in the, in the rest of the, uh, of the field of view. Uh, so in other words, your, your brain, you have picked up what you think might be a deer because you saw some sort of movement. And then at that point, you try and take the 1% and then focus on that specific thing for two or three seconds just to identify yes is it some is it what i'm looking for or not yes and and while you're doing that while you're looking you know trained on that one specific spot your your eye even your eye is completely steady as well as the binocular so the rest of that field of view you know all of a sudden boom you see that little bit of movement and well this time it was a bird that time it was a rabbit and all of a sudden you go wait that looks like a deer's ear and you you know you scan up to that, and sure enough, you know you see that flicker again, and, and you found a you know you found a bed of doe, you know, but where else you could see was basically her ears. So if I'm here, if, if I'm hearing you right, Chris, when you sit down the glass, you're scanning and you're looking, but you have trained your eye to anything that moves. You focus on it, determine if it's if it's a deer or a buck or a ram or whatever, and then if not, you keep. Keep moving and keep glassing till you see more movement, or until your eye sees, you know, the, the horizontal shape or whatever you've trained right. your eye, you know, as the quarry you're after. Yep. So in other words, you're not just panning around; you're looking for movement through your binoculars. Yes. Yep. Looking for okay. movement, and, and I, I think uh, just one other point on glassing. I don't know. I know we didn't really get on with the idea of talking about glassing a whole lot, but people are i think a lot of people are under the impression that that you know somebody has really good game eyes you know that they're they're blessed they can, they they can just see animals better than other people i don't think anybody was born with a skill that's any better than all of us we're all born we're all predators you know we've all got eyes in the front of our face we're all predators we're born with that with that capability but the guys that are really good are the ones that basically learn to glass by studying animals 
Um, it's almost like when you start to read as a as in, in the first grade, you put your finger on every letter and you sound out every letter until you figure out what the word says, and then you go to the next word, and then and then by the time you get to second grade, you don't have to use your fingers anymore. By the time you know you're in high school, it, it's a, it's a proven fact you're only looking at every fourth or fifth word, and and you, even of those words, you're only looking at two or three letters of a word, and your brain just fills in all the gaps because it's seen. It's already seen that word before it recognizes that word, and your brain just, boom, just reads it, you know, without, you're not having to do all those manipulations. I think finding animals in the field is the same way. If you, once you've studied animals through binoculars and you've looked at them enough times, all of a sudden you see, you know, just the inside, the white on the inside of a deer's leg, you see that white, and your brain says deer. Just right away you recognize it's a deer because you've seen that deer so many in that, in that position so many times so i truly believe glassing is a skill that can be learned not a talent we're born with i think that's a great point you know and and i think like you said the the more you do it the better you become and the more that you train your eye for looking i mean i get reminded that a lot of times when i have people that that come and hunt coos deer with us or sheep or what have you and we sit down and we're sitting right next to them and our client, uh, and you know, it's just breaking day, and and I'm just scanning, panning around, looking, 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 and I may have seen you know eight or ten deer, and I'm just you know power scanning and really looking hard, and I look over and you know just because I'm totally concentrating, I look over and someone you know the client will say, "Have you seen anything?" And in my mind, I'm thinking, are you kidding? There's deer everywhere. But the the reality is, for one, I'm kind of in that element that I'm used to. If I went to the country where the client was from, it would probably take me a while to gain some confidence and be able to be, you know, moving quickly in my binoculars and, you know, looking for those uh, signs that, you know, boom, there's a deer, there's a deer, there's a deer. Um, whereas, you know, if I go in their country, maybe it's going to take me a, a, a quite a bit longer to gain that confidence to be able to acquire my target. Um, I want to ask you about at first light when you get up, let's say you're cooster hunting, you get up to a high knob and you're, you know, you, you, you sit down, it's just breaking day where you can barely see with your binocular. At that point in time, are you going slow or are you going fast? as far as, say, the first 15 minutes of light? You know, it, it, I, I go fast in the first 15 minutes. I'm, I, I, I cherry pick. I mean, there's areas I'm looking at. I'm looking at this, this view in front of me, and there's four or five spots that I look at, and I go, I bet there's a deer there. And what I do is I go look at every one of those spots and as quick as I can look at them. And, you know, half the time there are deer there because – your your brain just kind of looks at country and it's seen deer in those scenarios before. So sure enough, there's deer there. Uh, but but I do that for two reasons. First of all, because there probably is going to be, I'll probably see something there. Second of all, if I don't do that, I find myself rushing through. If I, you know, setting up a grid, you know, if I set up a grid and I don't go see those cherry spots first, I find myself rushing through everything just to get to those spots. So I'm like, all right, just go look at them, get it out of my system. Uh, you know, if there's something there, figure out what it is. If there's nothing there, at least I can say, all right, now it's time to get down to work and, you know, set up a, you know, pick out a spot, start my grid, 
and you know just start covering country slowly and meticulously. I think that's a great point, and I fight myself. I, you know, I, I'm a grass is always greener on the other side. I, I fight that in every every aspect of my life. I fight that in you know sitting down glassing and my hunting. And I think you make a great point that if you know you you basically have a big field of view, and you when you've been walking up to your point, or as soon as you can turn and look, you automatically go. Man, right over there looks good. Right over there looks good. Right over there looks good. Well, you can't look at it all. And so I think that's great advice for people to go ahead and take 10 or 15 minutes and just hit those great looking spots that you say that there should be a deer there. But then you bring up a point of, of going to your grid. Can you walk me through, um, do you start from left to right, top to bottom, kind of, you know, does it, does it, does each terrain dictate, you know, differently or do you, uh, you know, systematically, do you normally, you know, have one way that you do it? Now, it really depends on the species. You know, like if I'm sheep hunting, um, I'm going to start from the top, you know, work my way down. Um, I, I'm, I'm a left to right kind of guy, so I always seem to start on the left side and work my way to the right side and then just drop down, drop down a half a frame and start working my way the other direction. But like deer and elk hunting where I, it, it, most of the time, I feel like I'm going to probably see things in the in the lower half of the uh, of, of whatever the elevations I'm looking at. I'll start in the bottom and work my way, you know, work my way up, and and then try to force myself to look really close, you know, inside, you know, inside 200 yards for, you know, at least 15 minutes with my naked eye, really look at what's right below me. Is, I know it's happened. I'm sure it's happened to you a hundred times where <laughs> they're glassing and all of a sudden you hear something and dang, you look down there and there's a doe standing 50 yards below you, you know, and yeah, like, man, she had to been there the entire time or just worked her way up there. But, uh, so anyways, I, I, I'm a left or right kind of guy and, uh, up and down just depends on the species, but generally I try to start down because start closer, especially in the morning because closer you got better light. I mean, when you've got bad light, it's a lot easier to see things closer than far, and by the time the sun's starting to come up, you've got a little more light on the mountain to see better um, at the at the longer distances at the higher parts of the mountain. Yeah, and um, I, I those etch a sketch um, boards that you know twenty years ago there were those like I think they're etch a sketch, and when you I don't know if it was graphite or what, but, you know, you could draw little things. But then when you went to erase it, you kind of um, took broad strokes and you kind of, you know, swept it out of the way, if that makes sense. And I try and explain that to people that, you know, at first, the first 15 minutes, I'm the same way you are, Chris. I'm panning. I'm glassing quick. I'm looking at those key spots. Then I start. I don't really have a left or right. But when I then pick, like, let's look at that hill. I typically start kind of at the top and then just start basically picturing my field of view as a paintbrush and just painting and brushing my way all the way so I cover that hill. Then I move over to the next hill, start either at the top or the bottom and brush my way. And I think with the panning um, tripod heads that, that you know are out these days with you know the outdoorsman's has a great panning head. I would encourage people to pan left to right or right to left rather than up and down. And that's just my opinion. I was wondering if you could weigh in on that from a uh, steadiness standpoint, uh, you know, panning left to right or right to left as opposed to up and down. 
Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think for for me, especially, and it's one of the reasons why I, I prefer a pan head to a pistol grip head, is I like to be able to set the friction on the head just tight enough that I can just touch it with my nose uh, and, and just move over a half frame at a time. There's one thing I found. As soon as my hand touches the tripod, I'm like a, you know, you know, a kindergartner with ADHD. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be moving that thing all over the place. And, and you just don't get, you, you start, you know, like you're saying, painting, you're trying to paint the wall and you're just painting spots, you know? You're right. Not, you're you're like, it's like a shotgun approach. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah. not near as thorough if you're just shotgun, you know, our first 15 minutes of glassing, you know, at prime time is basically shotgun approach, but it's shotgunning in areas that our eye picks up as, you know, those are key areas where deer are going to be moving. And then I try and kind of slow down and say, okay, we're going to now go a lot slower and I'm going to just grid and pan and work my way through. And I'm going to literally glass every bit of, of hill or country or terrain that I can see. Um, and it's amazing when you're, if, and I'd like you to weigh in on this. If you're not, especially cooster hunting, if you're not seeing stuff, I just tell myself, slow down. And it, it, I always laugh at myself because it seems like within a minute or two, boom, I pick something up just because I finally slowed down and I've really started concentrating and trying to pick up that movement like you were talking about earlier. Oh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. When Especially especially deer hunting because the reality is if, if you're in deer country, there are deer there. I mean, there's, there's not – I'm sure that's happened to me at some point in time, but I cannot ever remember it, where you sat down and you did not see a deer. I mean – the deer are there. You're just not seeing them. So if you're not seeing them, it's because you're probably going too fast. You know, you're not you're not allowing your eyes to to relax and and pick up and do the work in the way they're designed to do their work. For sure, for sure, Chris. I want to transition just a little bit. Um, and you have over the years been involved in a lot of different conservation organizations. And I would like to get your answer. If you were explaining to a non-hunter why a hunter is the biggest advocate of conservation, uh, you know, it seems like kind of the, the media these days and non-hunters, they don't understand that. And I was wondering, as much experience as you have with conservation and, and supporting and, you know, being, in the, you know, the head and the president or whatever of some of these different organizations you have, uh, seen it from the ground up, uh, what would your answer be? You know, really, we're vested. You know, we we have a vested interest in uh, game populations being sustainable and, and growing, uh, growing where the grow you know where growth is is sustainable, because it's it's what we do. It's what we love to do. We love to. And you know, back to that survey I was reading this morning. One of the things that that gave people the most satisfaction was just watching animals in the wild, watching animals do what animals do, and it, it, the, the kill being a, a, a way less significant part, or significant or subordinate to the idea of just being able to watch animals do what they do. Uh, hunters are, I mean, we are we're we're naturalists, whether we admit it or not. We love to, to just watch wildlife and be able to see vast, you know, just quantities of wildlife, uh, quantities of species, and just watch that natural uh, interaction, you know, of, of, of nature. It, you know, it's been with uh, 
and it's one of the reasons why I, you know, a lot of states, you know, Arizona gets gets hammered pretty hard, and you know about the non-resident non-resident hunters and being unfair to non-residents. And I, I, though I understand that because I'm a non-resident in every state but Arizona, and I hunt in more more out of Arizona than I do in Arizona. But it's important, in my opinion, to make to keep hunting um, for the resident uh, attainable because when people don't hunt, they don't they lose interest and they're not vested anymore. So they're not they they basically they kind of quit caring. Uh, though we may care more than a non-hunter or an anti-hunter, uh, just the opportunity to be out there uh, just instigates more uh, of that passion and, and keeps, you know, hunters uh, involved in, in the in wildlife management. And it's something that, in, in from a conservation organization standpoint, I think it's really important for conservation organizations to exist to basically keep the departments accountable to what their mission is. And, you know, a lot of folks might have the opinion, well, because a guy's got a college degree in, in wildlife management, that he knows a lot more than, than you do. So, you know, the, but even though even a real smart wildlife manager realizes that, you know, a guy that spend, spent 40 days in his unit glassing probably knows more about what's going on in that unit right now than he might. And um, so hunters and sportsmen, we can we can be we're a, a valuable asset to to wildlife management agencies, but we have to stay involved and we have to stay organized in order for our voice to to have some authority and some power behind it. I think that's well said, and you know I think the sad truth is you know the reality is that unfortunately in a lot of these conservation organizations there's a handful that do all the work and the majority of the public a lot of times they don't support these groups either with their time or with their dollars and what would you say or how would you encourage people to get involved and you know do you also see that being a little bit alarming where you know a handful of people are doing all the work and uh, a bunch of the sportsmen are just, uh, you know, quote unquote, being lazy and letting other people do the work for them. Yeah, I, it, it does concern me. It, it concerns me on a, at a at grand scale as well. I mean, it's we're seeing it right now in our elections. I mean, in, in this country right now, it's you're either red or you're blue, um, and I'm seeing that trickle all the way down to uh, wildlife management, wildlife management, wildlife organizations. If some particular wildlife conservation group this, does one thing that a guy doesn't this one sportsman said well you should have supported this issue and they but they took a, a an opposite view of them they say well i can never belong to your organization because you guys did this you know or you guys did that or you didn't support this or you did support that so they throw basically they throw the the baby out with the bathwater and say well i cannot support you for this one very specific reason that affected me personally and you know if 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 that were the case, I mean, everybody would have to be their own conservation organization. We'd be, we'd have a couple million conservation organizations with members, membership of one. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's an alarming trend that people feel like somebody has to agree with you 100% or they are the enemy. And, you know, right. the NRA fought that for years and, and they, they, and we're seeing it way too often in, in our country right now is, is especially in the, in the hunting community where it's hunters on hunters 
and it's conservation organizations against conservation organizations. You know, they're they're all fighting for some kind of territory and some kind of mind share. And in my opinion, they're they're forgetting what the resource. They're forgetting what we all why we all started the organizations and what our ultimate goal might be. Yeah, I mean, I think that's very well said. I think, you know, I couldn't agree with you more, you know, and, and looking at politics, looking at, you know, uh, you know, we're all humans and we're all going to make mistakes and we're all going to have differing opinions. And just because I feel very strongly about something, it doesn't mean that it's right. It means that I think it's right, but it very well could not be right. And that maybe, you know, talking to some of my other fellow sportsmen and getting their opinion and, you know, and sometimes the majority isn't right. But, you know, I think it's it's easy to, you know, fall on one side or the other and draw the line in the sand. And if if you don't agree with me on this, then we're just not friends. I, I mean, you see it all the time, like on Facebook. If you do this, then just go ahead and unfriend me on Facebook. And it's like, yeah, I, I mean... Kelly, I, I have friends that in all aspects of my life that agree with me on things. And I have friends that they're some of my best friends and we, we don't agree on a lot of things. Um, I think the tolerance out there and, and taking this question a little one step further is there's kind of like hunter envy or hunter hate out there where hunters are hating on other hunters and um you know, it, it it goes right to what you were saying, where if you don't agree on this one thing, then we're no longer friends, you're an enemy, you're over in this class, and oh, you know, let's mock this guy, or publicly, let's say this guy's a dirtbag because he believes this, that, or the other, and we have to just shake ourselves up and say, wait a minute, we're all outdoorsmen, we're all sportsmen, we're all hunters, we're all fishermen, we we can't be fractured. So I, I was curious your take on kind of the, you know, hunters hating on other hunters and, and and that whole thing. Yeah, it's it is way too prevalent out there. I've I've often said if 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 uh if an anti hunting group came out and wanted to ban uh hunting rabbits on the third Sunday in November, every anti hunting group in the entire country would support them and say, Awesome, let's do that. Whereas you take, you take the hunting community and you say, we would, and, and they come up with a proposal. Well, 80% of the people say, well, that's not a great idea. You know, that's a dumb idea. And so we, we want to somehow, for some reason, we want to tear each other down. And it's, it's you know, whether it, in the hunting community, it's, it's high fence, you know, whether, you know, I can't support high fence hunters. I can't, you know, I won't, I won't have anything to do with somebody that hunts on private land. You know, I can't, you know, going on a guided hunt is somehow less than, you know, doing it yourself. It's like people, they don't want to, they, 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 they want everybody to hunt and appreciate the, 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 uh, the, the lifestyle of hunting exactly the way they do. And if you don't enjoy it the way I do, there's something inherently wrong with you. And, uh, it is, it is really frustrating to, to watch what hunters are doing to each other. And I just went on a, I, just a few weeks ago, I was, uh, a group of us went over to Texas hog hunting and we, it was all bow hunting and we had a ball, but it was, a, it was a high fence hog hunt. We had an absolute blast, you know, and, and sure there's guys that show up there and, you know, it's, it's not, it, it wasn't going to be an episode of Western hunter. 
you know, but we had an absolute blast over there hunting, you know, hunting hogs and just having a good time, you know, with friends and, and family. Yeah, I think, um, I think we, as a group, we need to be more tolerant of other people and, and, you know, there are certainly, you know, one of the things I like about going to the SCI convention, you know, it's been here close to my house uh, the last couple of years in, in uh, Vegas, is it's amazing for me to walk around at SCI and see people from all over the world that hunt completely different than I do and some that hunt uh, virtually the same styles as I do. But one thing that I think is so cool is that there's people that you can walk by hundreds and hundreds of booths and see the passion for hunting. And granted, you know, there may be a guy from, you know, this, this area of the world or this area of the world where we may think that, oh, we're not going to hunt that way or that method of take isn't how we do it. They walk and see the same thing with us. And it's like, I just think it's awesome to know that there's hunters all over the world. And sometimes I think we need to get out of our own little box that we live in and realize that when you go, you know, over to Africa, that you're going to get a, a, someone that's just as passionate about hunting as you are. Or if you go to the Midwest, I hear people in the West a lot, oh, well, they're, they're tree stand hunters. That's, that's not hunting. Well, if you lived where they lived, that would be your only choice to hunt because of what they have to deal with. And I think I like going to SCI because it opens my eyes to there's a lot more out there than, you know, what's in my world here in Arizona or even here in the western United States. There's more than, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat, in, in other words. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it, people, you know, like you said, the, the tree stand, talking about tree stand hunting is a classic example. Guys, it's like, yeah, that's that's not really hunting. Well, when you put in the hours and time that those folks put in, you know, to figure out, you know, even to just to find a place to hunt, it, it's it's miraculous. I, I look at their drive to hunt, and I'm thinking, man, they might have a, a stronger drive than I do. You know, because all I got to do is in Arizona here is drive half an hour from the house, and I'm on public land, and I get to go hunting. Uh, you know, they've got to work sometimes for years, you know, to put a piece of property together and, and do their own management on there to actually, uh, you know, improve the, the deer hunting and, and the habitat for uh, for deer. It, we've, it, we've, somehow we've got to start, and it's got to, you know, it just starts with one, you know, one person at a time saying that hunters need to appreciate and, and enjoy each other's company and, and accept our differences and, and enjoy our, our similarities, but accept our differences just for what they are. And Absolutely. That's a people. great point. Yeah, they're not bad people, exactly. Yeah. They just do it differently than what we do it right? Um, and the way we do it. Let's take another quick break here. Okay. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service, and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, 
helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the JScott16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Chris, uh, I want to ask you about um, this upcoming fall season, if there's any particular tags or hunts that you're hoping to draw um, or any any hunts that you have on the, on the uh, calendar already that you're looking forward to. Uh, you know, like basically like everybody else, um, we're we're sitting here waiting for draw results. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I've I've got enough points in Arizona to be hopeful for that I might draw an L tag. Uh, but uh, if not, I'm you know I'm hope you know hoping I can draw a tag in in New Mexico. We haven't actually even filmed an episode in New Mexico yet, and we're really wanting to. Hopefully, we get lucky and do that. Uh, Nate and I are trying to put together a trip uh, up to Kodiak. Uh, to go hunt uh, blacktails, uh, which I'm I'm super excited about. I think if we can put it together, it'll be the first hunt that I've ever been on that is truly wild. You know, I mean, even even a lot of the backpacking hunts I do, if you know, give me eight nine hours and I could be back in a truck. You know, I mean it's <clears throat> right. I mean it's wild. You know, and you're you're in the backcountry, but when you're eight or nine miles away versus being in, in an area where you may not, a plane may not be able to pick you up for five days. I mean, that's going to be a totally different experience for me. So I'm really hoping we can put that together. Of course, I'm always going to cruise deer hunt somewhere. Um, so I hope, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll have a tag in Arizona. I'm really thinking hard about trying to get down to Mexico again. Uh, I haven't been to Mexico in about five years, trying to get down to Mexico and do some cruise deer hunting. Uh, but, I just got to kick back and and wait and see what the draw results give me. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I'm really looking forward to turkey season right around the corner here. I've got a bunch of turkey hunts lined up, and it's one of my favorite seasons of the year. So it's I love I love this time. I wish it would go by a little faster here. It seems like March March for me, February and March kind of drags along because you know we get off those great cooster hunts down in Mexico the end of January and then. February and March are pretty slow and really looking forward to, you know, April and May coming up with the turkey hunts. Um, what, what gear are, are you using any gear right now or any, any, anything, um, any special things that you're using that you need to tell the listeners about as far as any new gadget or any, anything you've got that you're really hepped up on? Well, we've got, uh, we're using the new Browning uh, speed line of, uh, Hell's Canyon speed line of clothing. Uh, we've used it this past year and we're 
super excited about it. Worked really well for us. Uh, Browning's been a great company to work with. Um, one other thing, by the time, hopefully by the time this podcast airs, Cody over at the Outdoorsman's will have the new uh, the new long range hunter pack out, which he's done some great work on that pack. I mean, Nate and I looked at it at uh, at the Salt Lake City show for the first time, and we were both just super stoked. I mean, he's he's really listened, and and I think he's built what what would be the best Outdoorsman's pack for. Uh, for an extended trip, uh, type hunts where you're going to be gone four, five, six, seven days. Uh, super excited about that one. And then, uh, you know, other than that, our, you know, from our product lines that, you know, Gold Zero's got some cool new products out that we're excited about using on hunts. Um, and, and, oh, that was the, the new Matthews bow, uh, the new Halon 6. I've been shooting that and I have, just super stoked about that boy. I think it's the best bow that Matthews has ever built. Uh, it's, it's ridiculously quiet, fast. Uh, over in Texas, I had three shots of three hogs, made you know all three solid shots with clean pass-throughs. Um, just um, I, I need I, I need some confidence going into the archery season. I've been I've been skunked on archery hunts here for a while, and it's I, I feel like I finally got a system put together that at least I can't blame it on the equipment after this point. Yeah, does that um, new bow? Does it have? Is it real smooth in your hand, like a typical Matthews bow? Yeah, it's it's even more dead in, in your hands. I mean, when the shot goes off, considering it's a, it's a true speed bow. I mean, I'm shooting. I actually turned the poundage down to get the speed down to like 285, 290. I was up over like 310 with a with a fairly heavy arrow, and I'm only a 27 and a half inch draw. Uh, I mean, when the when you when you the shot goes off, the bow is just dead in your hand. Uh, it's super, super smooth. And then they've got the new, the Halon, uh, uh, Halon X coming out, uh, which hopefully I'll have one here in about three or four weeks. Nate got to shoot it at the ATA show and felt like it was even for him. He felt like it probably is going to be a better bow than the, than the Halon six is right now. That's cool. That's cool. Well, um, and what's going on over at uh, wilderness athlete, Chris? Oh man, everything's happening at Wilderness Athlete. Man, things are just growing like crazy over there. Oh, we've got some new products that are going to be coming out this year. Uh, the new flavors of Energy and Focus and Hydrant Recover have been an absolute hit. Uh, they, they, I just love the new flavors. And they, What's your favorite? You know, my favorite right now is probably the, the new Hydrant. The, the new Hydrant Recover is is uh, the strawberry. Uh, we call it the strawberry granada, and then the, the uh, energy of focus is tropical fusion. I would say those are my two favorite flavors by themselves. But what I'm more excited about is that each one of them, we you know we have the product we call it a Superman when you mix hydrate recover and energy focus together. Each one of those products, when you mix them back with the older flavors, they're even better. So uh, there's like 14 <laughs> different combinations you can make a Superman now, and and, uh, and every one of them is awesome. That's great. The That's whole, great the stuff. whole concept of the hunter athlete, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm stoked to hear and see that sportsmen are spending more time and more energy thinking about their their health and wellness and their in their baseline, uh, their baseline health and you know taking vitamins, exercising, taking their supplements. Now, because it really does, especially as as we age, it's just so dang important to to pay attention to, uh, pay attention to your body. Mark Paulson's always saying the most important piece of equipment you own is you. And for for hunters, that's absolutely true. you got to take care of number one first. 
Yeah, and I mean, even taking hunting out of the equation, just 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 being good to yourself is important. You know, being yeah. healthy because you can't hunt if you're if you're not out in the field, and you you know if if you're if you're unhealthy and you get sick and you've got health issues, that keeps you out of the field. Yeah, even if you don't do it for yourself, do it for your family. You know, if you really want to, you know, be there for your be there for your kids, be there for your grandkids. Uh, you got to start start taking care of yourself now. And there's a real uh, a, a growing awareness within the hunting community of paying attention to your health. Absolutely. Well, buddy, it's been great having you on. I really uh, appreciate the sponsorship uh, from Western Hunter and and uh, Elk Hunter Magazines. Uh, you guys have been great to me, and uh, obviously a, a wilderness athlete, also a sponsor. Uh, just uh, want to thank you for that and uh, keep up the great work with the TV show and the magazines and all the different things that you've got going on. I think you're a great ambassador for our sport and um, just want to commend you on the work that you've done over the years and uh, keep keep doing what you're doing and uh, just thanks for coming on and spending time with us here. Hey, you bet, Jay. Thanks for the opportunity. It's been, it's been, fun, been fun talking and hopefully we get to do it again. Absolutely, buddy. Uh, sounds good. Uh, God bless you till I see you next time. And uh, yeah, go keep knocking them dead, buddy. Thank you, sir.